0: hey everybody welcome to signals from the frontline every wednesday live cast brought to you by frontlinegaming.org where you can get your tabletop gaming goodies all the days of the week i am your host mr reese aka reeseus not Recio, and with me is flanky just kidding it's the rhino sup you might have heard him on the much more popular podcast as he likes to remind me almost every day chapter tactics it's true also on the frontline gaming podcast network where he and a host Yay, a cornucopia of other talented 40K pundits talk about cool stuff.
1: That's that's the best Frontline Gaming Network description I've ever heard.
0: Indeed. That's why they pay me the big bucks, Pablo. That's true. So uh, what did you guys talk about on the last uh, chapter, Tactics?
1: We talked about how to beat Space Marines. Uh, Very, very hot topic. Uh, We're going to cover another hot topic today on Signals, but go ahead and check that out. If you hate Space Marines and want to know maybe how to beat them, pro tip, it's a lot harder than you think.
0: Yeah. Well, they are the top dog. So any tips are going to help. Uh, I'm going to give you a pro tip right now. Take things that have good AP.
1: That' Great. Episode done. I, I still got it. I'm going to have hope. to re-record that episode.
0: <laughs> so, of course, check out the rest of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Uh, there's all kinds of good content on there almost every day of the week. Uh, check it out. We just added in uh, Art of War, Australia, and you get a recap of 40k today in there as well. Some good stuff. All right, let's jump in and talk about what's new this week. But before we do that, thank you everybody for joining us for the live show. It's 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time at Frontline Gaming underscore TV over at Twitch. If you can join us, uh, you can, uh, if you want to join us, please do. You can join the conversation, correct us when we make rules mistakes Comment on my mustache, all that fun stuff. Uh, And if you can't watch the live show, of course, check us out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, all that good stuff. However you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment unless you're going to say something mean. Don't do that because I have a fragile ego. Like a Fabergé egg, egg, says Mariana from the control center. If I had a fragile ego, I would have quit this job like year one. you have you have to have thick skin to do this the
1: internet is not for the faint of heart
0: it is it is not uh all right thanks for joining us however you consume the media so let's jump in talk about what's what in the last week in the games workshop hobby first of all this week's pre-orders there's a lot of cool stuff from lord of the rings to blood bowl to necromunda you can of course pick those up at a discount in the frontline gaming web store it's store.frontlinegaming.org we have discounted prices free shipping options within the continental united states Pablo, he's itching to talk about some of these new releases. Let's hear your take. Well,
1: first up, the first kit proves that GW still hasn't lost it in the fantasy football game genre. Out of the Badlands Bayou and into your hearts come the Crud Creek Nose Pickers. I thought the Sloppity Biopiper Piper took the best GW named model award. I'm, I'm taking it away. Crud Creek Nose Pickers pick them up. It's a Blood Bowl team of grots, or I, I don't Snotlings. know what they're called. Snotlings. Excuse yeah. me, which is which is perfectly. The aptly named Snotlings commanding a team on the pitch and probably losing a lot of games. So cool. I, I've always loved the Blood Bowl theme, and I think I think that this is a slam dunk hit. And of course, there's also a spike issue to go along with it that you can pick up on store at or store.frontlinegaming.org.
0: Yeah, G W has always had the like the grim dark and everything, but there's always been like this current of humor that's run through a lot of what they do, which I think is a part of the magic of what makes Games Workshop games so much fun. And Blood Bowl like is the epitome of that sense of like silliness and like fun. And this is probably the silliest. <laughs> Uh, team in a silly game of Blood Bowl, so I, I think it's going to be really popular.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Alright, moving on to the next release. Uh, we have Necromunda items, and Necromunda is quickly becoming my favorite side-eye, maybe I should get into this game. Uh, we've got the Slave Ogren Gang, so I, I don't know anything about these uh, gentle folk. I don't know if there's probably a mix of genders in there, but Slave Ogryn Gang, they're just ogres that have a bunch of armor and power suits. They're really awesome looking. Um, I don't know anything else to yeah, add. I don't play Necromunda.
0: Yeah, like Necromunda is one of those games that I've always been curious about, but I've never actually played it. Um, the models, though, have been always been really cool, and lately they've been like spectacular. Like the Necromunda models are absolutely amazing, and I'm sure we sell just as many to be converted into like a 40k army as you do to actually play Necromunda. Um, but yeah, they're they're brilliant um and uh, like as i've been saying because i'm excited for it september 8th is the necromunda release for the video game it's a tactical squad based or uh, team based rpg it looks like xcom set in the necromunda world as i've said every week which is amazing which is a way. combo that i'm all about oh yeah so because we've been playing divinity original sin a lot which uh which is a uh, Divi- divinity original sin part 2 excuse me um which is a, a tactical turn based squad based rpg uh it's just a fantasy setting and they're really, really fun. Right? Like I love games like that, like Fallout Tactics, Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, super fun. So I can't wait to play that on um, on PC when it becomes available. But there is some other cool stuff coming too, like the Escher. Uh, they got like, their codex, so to speak. It's an Escher book. And then yep. there's some, um, uh, I guess, I don't really know what their role is in the game, but I think they're like add-ins where you can add them into your gang. And there's like some really like lizard cat dog things and some uh, Escher Hunters and all kinds of cool stuff.
1: Oh yeah. The, the models for Necroman have so much character and uh, if you read some of the fluff and lore, uh, they're really starting to flesh that out with like the Cal Jericho Bounty Hunter series is really cool. Uh, they just, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool universe. that They're just expanding their fluff uh, horizontally instead of vertically, just diving into 40k stuff. So
0: Yeah, I love it. And then of course they came out with a Palatinate, I think I said that correctly Enforcers. Uh, they went away from the Judge Dread aesthetic that the old Adeptus Arbites had. And I'm sure that there still are Arbites. This is like a different version of them, but um, they look super cool. And so you could play a gang of cops. They're not actually a gang, but that's what you call your warband in that game. So there's a ton of cool stuff. And as uh, Pcham126 in the chat mentions, um, I remember when you could uh, field your Necromunda gang as an Imperial Guard unit. Yeah, you can. And a lot of people are using the ne- Necromunda models to make Imperial Guard units or, you know, Inquisitor Coral, Coral Cor- units, Cor- or, Cor- or, yeah. They look, they look so cool. They look so cool. So let's talk about what's coming up uh, or what was previewed in the Sunday preview session for Games Workshop. There is a ton of stuff, ton of stuff. We didn't even have a chance to put everything up, but we want to skim some of the highlights. The long-awaited uh, New Horus Heresy book, which is going to feature the one and only Lionel Johnson, uh, the Primarch, coming out. He looks very cool.
1: He's doing lion things.
0: He's doing all kinds of stuff. I love how on the nose it is. Like the poem "Dark Angel" was written by Lionel Johnson, and Lion L Johnson is the Primarch of the Dark Angels. Yeah, oh yeah. That mm-hmm. was one of the more on the nose ones, and, and hilariously, they're fighting in this book, the Night Lords, which is my favorite uh, legion from a war perspective, and Conrad is obviously the Primarch of the Night Lords, so clearly based off of Heart uh, of Darkness, the Heart of Darkness, and uh, Conrad. Can't remember his last name i'm drawing a blank conrad but, yeah the the um the antagonist i guess maybe the protagonist of that is um conrad kurtz i believe it is
1: i think it is conrad yeah. I, I think conrad kurtz is 100 accurate it's been, then, it's been a while since we've been in university
0: yeah right <laughs> i know i studied literature as well so i, I should there sh- it shouldn't be as rusty as i am but then the the uh, assassin that kills Night Haunter, a.k.a. Conrad Curse, is M. Shin, and Martin Sheen is the actor oh my that kills uh, Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, which Apocalypse Now is based off of Heart of, Heart dark. of Darkness.
1: That's, that's some real deep lore diving right there, Rhys.
0: It's, well, it's, this is one of the things that I really, uh, along with that kind of dark sense of humor um, that you have in Games Workshop games, there's a lot of educated Englishmen that created the the back lore of the games, and they rooted it into a lot of this kind of stuff, which gives it a gravitas, right? And it makes it fun, whereas it's not, you know, some surface level. This is bad guy number four that likes bats or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, or ravens. Well, no, that's the good guy. It's, come on, <laughs> that 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 tie into the lore is so stupid. When Korax like goes away, he's like, never more. <laughs> I was like, that no. <laughs> so stupid. that's
1: exactly what he did too that's did, canon and then
0: he flapped his wings oh it changed it was, that That was so bad so bad uh but anyway a little explore uh, exploration of the lore a lot of you already knew that some of them uh some of you might be new to and it's just fun to talk about it's one of the things that makes the 40k universe um such a awesome compelling sci-fi universe uh, we also have a really really cool new night lords terminator unit they've got some uh, funky chain weapons they're not chain glaze, which is kind of their signature weapon, they're like weird swords, and uh, they look spectacular. They're and great, they're, they're amazing. They're, Yep, really good. Uh, then there's upcoming, just as we had a new um uh, release for the Escher gang for Necromunda coming up, we have a new uh, absolutely astounding models for the Orlock uh gang. It's called Orms, Masters, and Wreckers, and I put in a uh my favorite model from the group—they all look cool. There's guys with jump packs. This guy's got like two power fists and a thunder hammer. I don't know. This is just—it's crazy. So badass. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and the orlocks already look amazing. I'm oh, yeah. a, obviously a connoisseur. I'm a appreciator of the fine mustache. <laughs> and the orlocks all have very, very cool facial hair.
1: Yeah, I, I love the techno Knights look of, of both this guy and also the um, the figures with the jump pack things. Uh, it's all very cool. It reminds me of the old Necromunda uh, assassins. I forget what they're called, the Strikers or oh,
0: House Squire. Yeah, yeah, the where- super high tech ones. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the
1: ones where it was just a bunch of rich rich people living above the Hive City or the Undercity, and they'd just go down and just kill bad guys and good guys. Who knows? Uh, with just high tech weaponry and suits, because they could. Just a bunch of you know, want to be Batman? Yeah, and, and, it, and they go
0: down. That's like most dangerous game. They go down and hunt the, the gangers and they're like these rich. They're one for sinners, um, and they come down and they just prey upon the gangers. But they also get killed. And it was cool because um, your gang was only like four four guys as opposed to like having like ten. Uh, Valerie in the chat asked, "What hair uh, wash are you using right now?" It's just water. Um, I forgot. It's the best wash. This morning I got caught up. I was watching a, a podcast. And I was playing with my, my cats and I, I for, totally spaced it. It was Wednesday, so I forgot to uh, shave and put on a more appropriate shirt. Keep, That's keep why I have the muscle for, shirt on. Keep today. tuned
1: for Signals 100 episodes in the future when Reese makes his full transformation into a cat lady.
0: I am already an old cat lady.
1: It's, you're getting there.
0: Yeah. I have two, we, we have two uh, kittens in my household and they're a lot of fun and they're really active in the morning. So wake up, feed them, put on the coffee, turn on the news, and then... All of a sudden, I was like, oh, I need to go to work. And then I was like, oh, I totally forgot to make myself presentable. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, the new Orlock stuff looks really good. I uh, can't wait to check out those models. They're pretty badass. Uh, and then the new um, Necrolin kind of gunslinger model, I forget the, the name of it, is escaping me at present, but he's like the uh, Gene Stiller Colt. Um,
1: oh, Killer Morph. Killer Morph. Yeah. yeah, there you go.
0: So kind of weird. He has three legs and five arms the better to scuttle around and shoot you with. It's a
1: really cool model. Like, it's just five gun, five pistols, uh, uh, the action pose. It's just, it's a really good model.
0: It is. The new Necron stuff is off the charts. Oh yeah. It really is. Um, brilliant model. And this is coming out in conjunction with a new supplement for 40K, uh, Warhammer 40,000 Crusade. It's a mission pack beyond the veil. So it's going to expand on the very, very popular Crusade, uh um, Crusade is basically an expanded version of narrative play. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of gives you some structure because, uh, as I've said many times, I love competitive play is my favorite. My second favorite is narrative play. However, getting a narrative campaign together and doing it well is a lot of work. So hard. It's a lot of work. It's harder than any other way to play 40K. Like Running a really good narrative event at a tournament takes so much work. And that was one of the reasons why we made the ITC is that uh, you know, it's easier now, obviously, but in the old days, trying like, where do you begin as a TO? It's such a challenge. So we put together the ITC pack, like here, just do, just just do this. It's easy. Change anything if you want. We don't care. This is just to get going, so more people can run events. That's kind of what Crusade does for narrative play. It gives you some structure, gives you some missions, gives you some guidelines. It gives you a starting point. Of course, yep. you can change it. One of the, it's like playing an RPG. Half the fun of an RPG is making up your own stuff. Yep. All right, which is a fun segue. Pablo's got some fun project he's been working on.
1: Oh, that's you want true. To plug it? Uh, no, we'll talk about it later. But on on Crusade, real quick, the Warhammer Forty Thousand Crusade. Uh, I, I love GW's come a long way with uh, narrative missions and narrative campaign settings. I, I love that they branded it as Warhammer Forty Thousand Crusade, so you know when you buy a Warhammer Warhammer Forty Thousand Crusade book, that's what you're getting. Before in previous editions, you would buy a campaign book for the rules, and the rules were. Intended for narrative play, at least some of them felt like they were intended for narrative play. But you could use them in competitive play. Things like the adamantine lance or Imperial Knights, the formations in general, uh, in uh, Seventh Edition. And it was just—it was very confusing. Now GW is very clear. There's look, look. There's going to be some broken stuff, maybe some unbroken stuff in this Crusade book, but it's just for narrative play. So don't worry about it. Uh, and then we're going to leave, you know, competitive play or match play. Uh, alone, or we're going to update that in separate books. Um, it's, it's. I think it was a really brilliant move for ninth edition.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. I think one of the best things GW did in recent, in the last, you know, four years is just come out and say, hey, there's different ways to play this game. They're all valid, they're all fine, and here you go. We're going d- to define them for you Is open play, which is, in my experience, not to put anybody down who plays this way, but in my experience, that's where kids play the game, right? Having, you know, had a game store for as long as we have we don't have as many kids at the shop as we used to we used to be overrun with them in, the, in the old old shop uh, they just put models on the table and they start playing and they're half of it they're just making things up as they go right and open play is like literally take any models put them on the table have a good time. here's how you do that cool right easy peasy like you said narrative play uh, here you go here's some structure right like if you want to run a narrative event at a, at a, a, a con or a tournament, and it was a little like intimidating. Like, man, this is a lot of work. We'll just play a crusade. Yeah. You're like, yeah, we're going to have a crusade event at our con. Bam. Now you just open the door to a whole other um, group of 40K players that may not have wanted to come to a, a match play tournament. Yep. So now it's like, oh, cool. They have a crusade event. Let's go. And then we yeah. can go and have fun. Because yep. for those of you who don't remember, for those of you who are relatively new, for ages in the old days, there was this huge never-ending debate slash fight I'll call it a vigorous debate on what the right way to play 40k was and it was so stupid but you had people like at each other's throats about oh you're a whack player you're ruining the game oh you're a fluff bunny you're ruining the game and I'm like you both idiots everybody's free to play the game they want to play and that's literally
1: what GW was saying finally
0: the, <laughs> they finally said yes you could play the game you want to play it's valid it's fine yep. we mean you we, we, we make the game for both of these subsets of players and now you don't have these debates anymore no it, and it was great. so dumb and it was such a waste of time <laughs> uh, all right
1: battle zone manufactorum vertigus
0: yeah some new terrain very yeah, cool cool some terrain set not much else to say about that now this is the one that i am super duper excited for
1: oh this is where the the awesome I, double greatsword dude the line of great guys right dude
0: i cannot wait for this i've been like Cause I previewed it before COVID and then it, when GW shut down, everything got pushed back. So I've been like waiting for this to come out. It's the new Warcry catacombs expansion, stealth and glory, no oh, death and glory in the lands and dungeons of chaos. All right. It's a stupid tagline, but the models are so sick. So cool. I like, I've been waiting for this. I'm definitely getting it. I can't wait to add them to my D D model collection. Uh, that's pretty much all I've been painting lately. This <laughs> just like random fantasy models just because it's fun and it's less stressful than painting a whole army. Um, I just put up a couple highlights of the pictures I like. There's way more than this. Go check it out at the Warhammer community page. But uh, there's basically the Dark Elves or the the Land of Shadow, I yep. believe, is where they're from. Yeah. So like, this is giving us a pretty good idea of what to expect when they finally re-release Dark Elves and whatever they're going to call them at that point in time. And they look so sick.
1: Oh, I love this aesthetic Dude, here. Oh, it's great.
0: I, and it's like, I even like the weird SNL, like bondage type clothes. So like all of the, they're all wearing these like see-through leather pants with straps and stuff all over them. I'm like, this is perfect for Dark Elves. Um, I love it. I can't wait to get more of them. Um, I painted up the, the, the Dark Elf in this uh, vein from uh, Silver Tower. Yeah, yeah. It's such a cool model, dude. And I painted them up to be a drought, too. Like, yeah. His white hair and, and the um, red eyes and all that stuff. Yeah. So I can't wait to get more of these. I love them. But the other the other group in it is one I'm actually more excited about. It's the... Uh, I can't remember what the hell they're called. The, the Scions of the Flame or something like that. I think that...
1: I, I don't know. Chaos. They're Chaos models to me. That's...
0: Yeah. And, like, again, I haven't actually played Warcry yet, but everyone I've talked to that has played it, so it's very fun. It's, like, there's a... There's quite a bit of a random element to it. Some people like that, some people don't. That's a little bit of a turnoff for me as more of a, we'll call it a tactically-minded player. I like to have more control. But um, a lot of people have that have, I have spoken to, actually everyone that I've spoken to this play played it has said it's really fun.
1: Oh, yeah. Warcry War is, is great. It's, it's Kill Team, but for Age of Sigmar, which I actually think suits uh, Age of Sigmar's aesthetic better. Uh, Kill Team, to me personally, feels a, a little... With guns and stuff, feels a little bland or, or um, un- unintuitive, I guess. But with Age of Sigmar with Warcry, I-, I definitely love the idea of these two warbands breaking it up and having these individual heroic melee fights and maybe shooting an arrow at each other or magic spells. feels just more RPG, more traditional fantasy RPG uh, feeling, which which personally fits my my what I like.
0: Yeah, I... As I've gotten older, I actually, like, any new game I pick up is a smaller, it's a skirmish game. Um, Because there's been a couple times when I was, like, I wanted to start playing Conflict 47 because I love World War II history. I don't like it as an actual event. It was horrible. But I like the history of it. And it's got, like, a little element of sci-fi and fantasy sprinkled in, which is really fun. But then I was just sitting there, and I had all the models, and I was just looking at them, and I'm like, I really don't want to build and paint these. Like, I just, I don't. I just want to pick up a random uh like I I got an Eton like this from a random manufacturer. Atlantis Miniatures, super sick. And I was like, nah, I do want to paint this because this guy looks badass, and it's one model. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So, for now, for like army level stuff, um, I just hire a paint studio to do it. Like the front Gaming gave me a paint studio or, or whatever. Um, just because I don't know what it is. I'm like I hope it comes back at some point because I used to love hobbying, but when you do it at work and then you come because I would go do work and then I'd come home and I'd be like, oh yeah. I'd be, I'd it's fun to work on my army and then now i'm like i don't want to do that when i come home
1: for those of you who don't know reese spent entire work t- work schedules eight hours a day painting and building terrain so i don't blame him if he's a little Dude, burned I do out the eight hours to...
0: of terrain after my eight hour normal shift yeah like it, it was 16 hour days to get ready for a big event yep. it's so. it, it like seriously grinds the joy of hobbying out of your soul <laughs> yeah
1: so back back to these this war cry uh just real quick this war cry catacombs box uh i i love the the dual aesthetic between the kind of finessey you know shifty assassin shadow dark elf and then the kind of I, I even want to say almost regal because because he's got like a samurai pose with the multiple plated armor um. So it kind of looks like an evil chaos samurai dude. And it's with like shadow and minutes. light. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool. I, I just I really love the aesthetic they built up here, and then the idea of chaos catacombs, diving into a dungeon that the gods and minions of chaos have kind of built up with traps and and monsters and all. So cool. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, I, I am too. Definitely going to be picking it up, and uh, can't wait to get my hands my greedy paws on all these cool models. All right. Um, then we have another release coming out for Warhammer Underworlds. This one is called Dire Chasm. And uh, it's a combination of the new High Elves, um, uh, Lumineth, so, Light Lords, luminous Lumineth,
1: Lords. Realm Lords. So so what this is, is this is the new Warhammer Underworlds expansion. Um, so every year they come up with a new season. Last last year was Beastgrave. Uh, Warhammer Underworld Shadespire was the first one, which is now discontinued in a quote unquote um, uh, not quote unquote, it's actually quote competitive play. It is it is competitive play. It's uh, similar to what Magic the Gathering does, where you have rotating formats, you have rotating sets and expansions. So, this is the new one. So, this means that the one before Beast Grave, um, Night Vault, uh, is no longer applicable in Shades or Underworld competitive play. Uh, so, super cool. Rotating formats are healthy for competitive games, which is what Warm Underworlds is. So, it's great. It's a uh, Rumineth Realm Lords versus Slanesh, which is actually a theme that GW is going to be pushing with our next release, which is the Shadow and Pain box set. So, Take it away. quick caveat here for all of you, anyone interested in Shadow and Pain box set. Traditionally, when GW releases these box sets in the past, uh, they, lim- they release them on limited release. They sell out fairly quickly and then you never get them again. So, I highly recommend checking in to store.frontlinegaming.org at exactly 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want this box, it's probably going to be allocated. It's probably going to be limited, and it's super, super cool. So it's the bad faction in Slanesh, and the mostly bad faction, in Daughters of Cain. Uh, they're going to fight each other. There's a new Marathi supplement, which is kind of similar to what the Vigilist books were in 8th edition or, or what the Psychic Awakening books were in 8th edition as well. Uh, and they're also introducing new lords for the Daughters of Cain and the uh, hosts of Slanesh, uh as well. And then here's a, here's a model right now. This is a Slanesh lord.
0: Yeah, with some sort of two-handed mace. I love it.
1: Oh, this is a great model.
0: He looks so creepy quasi-sexual but still you know menacing which is exactly what slanesh should be i'm
1: very confused very very confused i don't
0: think he's confused he likes to party he knows what he likes pablo
1: oh i am confused he knows what he's about dude (laughs) absolutely it's a great model he also has
0: like a like a halter in his mouth like a horse this guy gets into some weird stuff on friday night
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah absolutely uh and then yeah and then uh you have the next model which is a uh Mur- uh, Daughters of Cain, Malusai
0: Lord, I think.
1: W- armor. I-, I had a name. I-, I had it memorized, but I forgot it. She looks uh, like
0: she might be a sorcerer of some sort. It,
1: yeah, it, it's got it's it's like an armored Malusai Lord, basically. Yeah. Uh, w- which, if you don't know, Daughters of Cain, the Malusai are the uh, snake, the snake um, like fighters. Naga- they're like Nagas naga, yeah. half
0: elf, or like a Medusa type blood elf, but they're amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I love this and I love that GW setting up an elf uh Age of Sigmar elf versus Slaanesh battle. As you might know, Slaanesh the the god has been captured by was captured by the elves, Tyrion and Teclis and Alariel and Mal- Malekith. I forgot who exactly captured her. Captured Slaanesh, but basically they captured Slaanesh and now the Slaanesh uh, minions are all looking for their dark lord, their dark master. And so that's been kind of the frozen fluff for age of sigmar for years since age of sigmar first came out uh slanesh has always been missing um and in turn that meant that the slanesh god or the slash releases have been very limited we've gotten nurgle releases corn releases zinch releases and age of sigmar and slanesh is next and you can tell gw is hitting the ground running uh the summer of Sigmar did come a little bit later this year. Normally we get age of Sigmar releases like this a lot earlier in the summer, but for obvious reasons, it's, you know, it's delayed, but we're getting them now. And, uh, I'm for one, I'm pretty excited because I love dark elves and I really love Slaanesh too. And, um, in the old warmer fantasy Battle, like, like Sigvald, the magnificent and uh, a lot of the Slanesh theme-, theme So super excited. It's gonna It's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, Always good to see some new Age of Sigma models because they're easily the best in the world, in my opinion. Forty K is starting to catch up to Age of Sigma with a lot of the new stuff, but you just you can't beat the quality of these models. Oh, so, they're beautiful. Yeah, really excited to see these. Really excited to see where the Age of Sigma universe goes. I haven't played well during lockdown. I wasn't playing at all anything except video games on occasion. But um, it'd be good to get a little motivation to get back in there and put some Age of Sigma models on the table because for me, it's been a while. It's been a while. We were playing quite a bit before we moved. Oh, yeah. All right, we're super pleased to announce a brand new event in the Frontline Gaming suite of events. This one is going to be called the Las Vegas Team Championship. Uh, I bet you can guess uh, that, that um, uh, Mariana is correcting me. The image, if you're watching, says tournament. Uh, Goat Boy, the man, the myth, the legend. Put tournament instead of championship. We've updated it. It's all good. I love the art that he made, though. It's like Reservoir Dogs, but all his 40K characters. This is going to make an amazing t-shirt. So oh, yeah. When you come to the event, you're going to want to get one of these shirts. It'll be a black t-shirt. It's going to look absolutely bad ass. Goat Boy outdid himself on this one. I love it. So Obviously, as you can tell, it's in Las Vegas. It's at the end of September in 2021, not 2020. Uh, and we've got it locked in for 2021, 2022. It's going to be an ATC-style team event. Five... Uh, In all, 99% likely this may change, but it'll be a five-person teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, It's the venue that we got is like, it's like perfect for this. It's super affordable. Um, We got some smoking deals on like buckets of beer for five beers. That's why we're the best in the business.
1: That's why we did five teams, (laughs) five band teams.
0: We think of the little details. So it's going to be very affordable. It's going to be right at the end of the strip, so it's still in a place where you can go and have a good time. And of course, team events. A lot of people feel the team events might be the future. Um, I, I never think the singles is going to go away. Obviously, um, you just you can't beat the excitement and the drama of a singles event. But team events, for logistical purposes, uh, they're just easier to run for uh, for and they scale better for for 40k events or age of Sigmar as well. So I think as we Obviously, once COVID is finally dealt with and we can move forward with uh, group activities, I think you're going to see more and more team events uh, come up. It's just easier to, to, to scale them up.
1: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Oh yeah. I'm so excited for this. So for those of you who have been interested in team tournaments, I did a chapter tactics episode almost a year ago now where I, I went to a small team tournament in California um, but this this is huge. This is a, a team tournament major on the West Coast. Uh the ATC guys do a fantastic job. Uh, all the credit and, and kudos to them. However, the ATC is East Coast located and it's very difficult for That's most the South, bro. Oh, excuse me. Don't, a southern the southeast, man might take
0: offense to that. <laughs> the South
1: either way, an exact opposite side of the continental yeah, US. Uh, we've got the Las Vegas team tournament as well, too. Uh and they're they're not they're not close to each other, so you can go to both if you want to go to both. Uh, but more importantly, I-, I love that it's easily accessible for uh, us on the West Coast who maybe can't afford to go to the ATC or don't want to make the long trip out to uh, the South uh, and-, and play in a team tournament because it is really hard coordinating five people to go to an event across the country. It's it's very, very difficult. So I- I'm super excited, and hopefully this, mean- this m- leads to a trend of, team tournament majors coming out uh, from the ITC TOs. Uh, and it's it's exciting, it's, it it's great, I'm, I'm getting chills.
0: We've been meaning to do a team event forever, but just like year after year for whatever reason, we just, it wasn't working out. So we finally got it done. And like I was saying in the ITC TO group on Facebook, if you're an aspiring event organizer, now is the time to book events because nobody is booking events, it's a buyer's market. Um, obviously you want to make sure that you negotiate a contract that has a really strong force majeure clause in case COVID is persisting longer than expected, but as soon as it is quote unquote safe to book events again, every Tom, Dick and Harry in the world that's in the event organizing business is going to be flooding the market, looking to book events. Prices are going to go way up. It's going to be a seller's market at that point. So if you're willing to accept a little bit of risk, you're, and you can go out there and you can book events and book multi-year contracts at smoking hot de- deals you will never get again probably in the rest of your life right now. And you're doing them a favor because if they put business on the books, that means that they're, uh, less people are going to get fired, all this stuff. It's, it's a win for everybody.
1: Reese is your temporary agent. I'm going to ask you to uh, stop giving free advice and direct people to the ITC Patreon where <laughs> you can get more awesome tournament events. Organization advice from Reese and other ITC members as well. That's patreon.com/slash ITC.
0: Yeah, or uh, jump in the ITCTO group too, where you can get a lot of good feedback. Okay. And um, yeah, and if anybody wants to support the the Patreon for the ITC, it's super meaningful. We really appreciate it. You can do it for as little as $1 a month, and all the money goes back into the uh, the ITC. We don't keep any of it for ourselves. Um, But yeah, like now is the time to book events. We booked three multi-year events since covid happened because we're getting we're able to negotiate such good deals it's letting us get in our foot in the door in places we might not have been able to afford absolutely doing it so uh, we share this information just because we want more people running more events it's better for everybody absolutely as we always say the rising tide lifts all ships so yeah get excited for that it's gonna be our first uh, big team event can't wait to get back to just events in general.
1: And if you need help planning that team event, we're getting more FLG mats in. Uh, Mariana and I run the customer service email, so we're getting all of those emails asking where our 6x4 and 60x44 mats are in our web cart. Good news, they're coming very, very soon. Uh, at the end of August, beginning of September, uh, they'll, be, they'll be in the web cart. You'll be able to order them. Uh, and I, I suggest you don't wait because we... Uh, we expect a lot of people to rush to the web cart and buy out 60x44 and 6x4 mats. Um, so we're going to have a fun time printing them all for you, but I wouldn't, wait, I wouldn't wait on those at all.
0: Yeah, and of course, keep your eye on Frontline Gaming. Sign up for the newsletter. We'll let you know when we get restocked and ready to rock. And also, as we've been talking about on previous episodes recently of uh, Signals, uh, we've had some issues with uh, supply chain. There's been orders that have been delayed, and it's there's a number of reasons for it. So we completely changed uh, the way we basically fulfill orders here. And from now moving forward, almost every order should be fulfilled within one to two business, day, meaning shipped to you. Matt's, ITC Terrain, uh, 40K, uh, Age of Sigmar, all the G, uh, GW products. So we hired new employees. We invested in carrying a ton of more inventory, bought new manufacturing equipment, basically put a huge investment of time, energy, and money into making sure that we could fulfill orders quickly. Some of this was out of our control. Uh, things like GW you know, already being behind and then shutting down their manufacturing capability for six weeks. And then during COVID, it, like demand exploded. So it was like just a perfect storm that some GW product, even when they told us they could get it to us, they couldn't. So we decided to just change the way we do things. Anybody that had an order that got delayed for an unreasonable amount of time, we're really sorry. Uh, going forward, it's not going to be an issue. So, hopefully, we can re earn some of the confidence that might have been lost with a couple of people. And for those of you who've uh, stayed with us, thank you very much.
1: All right. and after those brief announcements, time for the main topic.
0: Those are all main topics. Fair enough. Those are all main topics. This is the title topic. So, <laughs> let's enough. talk about terrain in Warhammer 40,000, Ninth edition. It is the hot topic right now. A lot of uh, pundits, 40K pundits out there are discussing this at length. I know. A lot of the TOs and the TO group have been asking a ton of questions about terrain in 9th edition 40K. Uh, It's a lot different. It's much improved over 8th. I mean, it's infinitely better than it was in in 8th edition. And again, I'm saying that assuming that you play terrain out of the book, not the ITC version of it. Um, And a part of 9th edition, of course, is that the ITC is going to have less of a role in creating kind of like a third-party version of the game. Uh, We want to move away from that. We want to play the game as it is in the book for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about that really quickly before we dive in. Uh, for one, if you can pick up the, the GT pack, go to an event, and you know what you're doing, those are the missions you've been playing, the barrier to entry entry to joining competitive 40k is much lower. You're playing the product that you bought. You don't have to go find a third party like the ITC, learn this rule set, understand how that all works. Um, it was necessary when it was necessary. and it, it isn't now. And so we wanna play the game as it is written. That means that there's gonna be some degree of compromise. You may not like every little thing. You might hate some of it, you might love some of it, but the, the 30,000 feet above the big picture is that it makes the game more accessible. More people will be playing competitive 40K. If you're good at this, if you're dedicated to it, your skills gonna be recognized by a larger player base. It's more likely that we can draw in sponsorships. It'll be better for everybody. But that means you have to be willing to accept that you're not gonna love every little bit of it as it currently is.
1: Well, let's be honest here, you didn't love every little bit of, of the game, anyways. There was always maybe uh I didn't love the every bit of
0: the ITC pack.
1: Maybe the Mandrakes didn't have enough hair, you know. <laughs> uh you know, maybe Ultramarines didn't win enough battles. That's the thing but,
0: is, and the reason we bring it up is a lot of people have been like, Oh, when are you guys gonna write your new mission pack? Well, I'm like, we're working on that right now. Um, I'm hoping to have it drafted tomorrow uh fingers crossed but um basically the pack is going to say the itc pack is going to say open your gt mission packet like that right now of course you guys are free to change anything you want right you can play the old itc missions if you want to you can use old itc terrain rules it's just if you do the more of that kind of thing you do the harder it is for someone outside of your immediate circle for them to come to your event
1: that's yeah, uh, and, and yeah, that's always been the point of the ITC. And, anyways, so let's talk about the the last kind of ambi- ambiguous frontier in Ninth Edition, which is uh, terrain. Uh, we have at a couple events now live streamed. The uh, the where we saw terrain happen, we saw kind of e- every TO's you know kind of thought process on how terrain should be laid out. Uh, I feel like the community in general knows which specific terrain rules they they want to be used or which ones. Um, work best for matched play and competitive 40k. However, we're seeing a lot of discrepancies in the community and also at events on how that terrain should be placed, how much terrain should be on the board and specifically uh, physical attributes of the terrain like bases, for instance, um, whether they should or shouldn't be added. And so that's kind of what we're gonna go over right now.
0: Yeah, great intro. So uh, we'll post up a picture here. Uh, Excuse, it's not very professionally done. But this is a picture of how some of the playtesters play their terrain, right, in 9th edition. And um, this is from some of the people that have been instrumental in shaping um, the GT mission pack, all that stuff. So, those uh, big circles and squares that you see are basically showing the terrain placement that the playtesters have found to be the most effective. For a fun and fair game of Warhammer 40,000. Now, of course, not every TO or individual or game store owner has six ruins for every table. That's a little, that's not reasonable for for everybody. Um, unless you're using like really um, a lot more affordable terrain, like the ITC Terrain Series, six GW ruins is probably out of the price range of of any anything but an individuals uh, individuals table. But this is kind of showing you what has been found to be working, right? So You've got four big line of sight blocking ruins, two little ones offset in the middle. You've got uh, some scattered terrain around the sides and all of that's gonna come together to provide block line of sight. Now, the big issue with terrain right now, kind of the big the big debate is not only how do you set it up, how much is appropriate, and like uh, this is gonna be, this is what we think is an appropriate amount. And to be fair, it might look like a lot, but it's very similar to what we did in uh, eighth edition, just, just laid out in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that it provides you places to hide, which is really important in your deployment zone, which is gonna help mitigate the number one complaint that we're getting right now is that Alpha Strike's too strong in Ninth edition. I really don't think it is. I think it's, it was way worse in 8th edition. In Ninth edition, the terrain rules are better, it's easier to hide, and you can reserve. Yep. So you should not be getting Alpha struck as badly. Um, and now that's a good segue into one of the things that's causing a lot of confusion slash controversy is in the old days, if you had a ruin, especially especially a GW ruin, and it's so ironic and funny to me, the GW ruins are always the one that have the most problems with the GW terrain rules. And it's why you saw so many events come out with just L pieces, because they just block line of sight. They don't look as cool. GW ruins look badass. But having all those like windows and everything has always made them a challenge. So what they did is they made it abstract, which is awesome. The obscuring rule is great. I love it. I think it's a great way to, to, to run terrain. Now, the issue is, is that a lot of these ruins, especially GW ruins, are not, they're, they're fragile. And so you put them on a base to make them sturdy. And also in every other edition of the game, having a big base extended the amount of square footage on the table that was providing some terrain interaction, usually cover, right? So oftentimes, as in this picture, they're on clear acrylic places, which actually looks really cool. You can't see them very well though, um, which is cool, you can put them on any mat and it looks like it belongs there. It's really neat. Um, now the downside is, is that as soon as you touch the base, if you're playing that whole piece as having the obscuring rule, the instant you touch that base, the whole thing essentially becomes see-through, right? No longer is blocking line of sight, it's no longer doing what it's supposed to be doing. So this has caused a lot of uh, confusion and controversy. A lot of what? TOs that already have terrain are like, hey, I made this really cool base. I'm not taking it off. I can't really take it off. And now it's actually a detriment to this terrain piece doing what it's supposed to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, very counterintuitive to how you would expect terrain to be played. Where getting closer to the terrain or even inside the terrain is detrimental to, to your you know health and safety. Um, but but yeah, it, I, I agree. I agree that the bases themselves, uh, tos, we're in a tight spot. Um, and I don't know if I don't know if necessarily. Uh, getting acrylic bases or whatever not, works best for you that's not realistic
0: for anybody that's not yeah. unless you're starting right now and you're just a new to and you're investing in to this kind of ruins and then that makes sense yeah but um the solution that we want to throw out there i'm sorry for cutting No, off. i was about to ask you that the solution that we're throwing out there is to very simply say that only the ruin itself has the obscuring keyword the base is just area terrain right it's to it a different keyword now having that big base which makes it stable and sturdy and easier to transport provides more cover now it's not a detriment it's a positive so what some of the other playtesters that i've spoken to have done is that they treat the ruin silhouette as it is out as it is described to do in the rule book this is not a home rule it's in the rules it's to just treat the silhouette of the ruin itself as giving you obscuring so if you have an l shape you draw an imaginary line between the two corners you're within that you can see in and out of and be seen within the ruin and then the base you just treat it as area terrain that if your whole unit is in or on it you get plus one safe it's a really it's simple um, it it, it's easy and if you have tables where these big ruins that have windows and such are critical to providing line of sight blockage well now uh they can do that and it's it it works it works fine it works as intended because GW's ruins obviously don't come with bases. They probably never will. So the rules aren't really written with the idea of them being on a base.
1: Yep, absolutely. And to address some quick questions in chat, as a couple came up, uh, Yeah, if you want to follow along with uh, Signals from the Frontline, just go to FrontlineGaming.org and click on the notes. It's Signals from the Frontline number 699. uh, And just click on that link, and it'll take you through the show notes. And as you scroll along, you can you can follow along with this episode. And that goes through YouTube as well, too, if you're listening to this on YouTube later on and you're wondering... I know it's a little bit late into the episode, but uh, if you want to go back or go back to the beginning of the episode and kind of follow along with us, you totally can do that. Uh, and then someone mentioned that the last four GTs going first had a 59% win percentage, um, which I, I think is, is a little above what we want, but isn't too far off from it's not, what you expect.
0: That's not like horrible and i no. think a lot i think a big part of it is too like really what the goal is from a design perspective has always been plus or minus five percent mm-hmm. right like a 55 45 split would consider to be the end that'd be like a balanced split right it's pretty close close to a coin toss uh, but i think a lot of it is too is that people again probably weren't using the terrain correctly right because we kept hearing all these people getting um um Alpha struck and like, if you have really good terrain, that shouldn't be a problem. And like we were saying, you can always reserve. I think a lot of people aren't doing it yet. A lot of people aren't taking advantage of strategic reserves. Um, And I think as people, as we ease into the addition, the terrain adjusts, people start using reserves, it should be closer to a 50 50 split.
1: The last episode I was on, was at 669? Someone's saying I only appear in episodes with 69 in them.
0: (laughs) It's a subtle clue. It's like playing the Beatles record backwards. All right. So uh, let's jump in and answer any other questions people have about terrain. Uh, there's some questions like, oh, are there going to be some guides on how much terrain to use? Yeah, it's actually in the in the rule book. They show you examples of tables that are intended to be good for match play. There's a bunch of examples in there. Uh, we'll also show, not anytime soon, don't hold your breath, but um, you know, as soon as we're in a position where we know we're going to have an event that's actually going to happen, uh, we'll put out some examples of how we're going to arrange our terrain for our events. Because um, I know a lot of event organizers and store owners, the idea of adding a bunch of terrain to their existing tables is just not realistic. Yeah, It's such a big investment of time, energy, and money. It's, it's better to work with what you got. I mean, of course, sometimes you do have to update your terrain, but it shouldn't be every addition. Yeah. It's, it's, terrain is already the biggest pain in the ass in uh, uh, event management. Like building it, painting it, buying it, storing it, transporting it, setting it up, breaking it down. It's already the biggest barrier to entry so you don't want to make it harder and you don't want to have to change it every edition it just doesn't doesn't work uh, in the chat we have someone's name it's in dark blue i can't read it i apologize uh, the conversion kits and objectives up for sale soon he's referring to the flg mat conversion kits to take a six by four to a 44 by 60 by reducing the play area without having to cut your mat uh, those should be here the first week of september we're just waiting on it to come through.
1: I'm excited for those. Yeah, me
0: too. All right, ITC talk. Of course, we already mentioned the Patreon. Consider supporting the ITC financially if you are able to and want to. But let's take a look at the rankings. And again, caveat MTOR. as always, make sure that if you're going to an event that includes a gathering of people during the COVID, the dark days of COVID, make sure that uh, you're being safe, the events being safe. Uh, points are not worth yours or another's health. I'll get off my soapbox and let's take a look at the rankings. Because there actually has been quite a few events that have started to happen. Not nearly as many as usual, but we're starting to see them pop up around the world, Uh, including really cool one in Japan, the Tokyo Tactical, that looked like a lot of fun. Ken Knox has moved into first place, displacing Vic Vijay is now in second. Ryan Snyder is in third, James Kelling in fourth, and Dan Sammons in fifth. In the hobby track, we have John Smith currently in first place. Displacing Colton Hatch, who's in second. Warboss, Richard Kilton in third. Wes Wright, fourth. Brian Anderson in fifth. Go, Brian. Do you know Brian? Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, Age of Sigmo current, top five competitive track. Matt Beasley in first. Michael Viganos in second. Hannah Easton in third. Jarrett Zizueta in fourth. Matthew Jones in fifth. Warhammer Underworld's current, top five. Ivan Cho, who is often at the top of the leaderboards, is in first. Clint Dean has moved into second. Jonathan Coulson in third. Cody Handler in fourth. Michael Melody in fifth. And finally, Kill Team Current top five. Angel Alvarez-Serraño is in first. John Sau is in second. Y- is a muscle memory now? Janice Gilham is in third. Pablo de la Torre is in fourth, and Andrew Tanner in fifth. Congratulations. Pablo, Pablo
1: de la Torre is my alter ego, makes uh, better movies than I ever can, and also is a much better Kill Team player than yeah. me.
0: Makes better movies?
1: Yeah. Um, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. Yeah. Those
0: all sound um, They sound sp-
1: very similar.
0: They're, well, the, and they're both Latin. Uh, Doesn't
1: matter. the mind. other one's... <laughs> the, it was meant to be a joke. Move on.
0: <laughs> you need to get to explain the joke's not good. <laughs>
1: All right, all right. Completed commissions. Uh, this is the Sekarin, uh Tank Venator Tank Destroyer, Venator Tank Destroyer, I believe is
0: what it's called. I can't remember.
1: Um, anyways, it's completed commission. Uh, looks like an Iron Hands Forge World vehicle. It's uh, very, very beautiful. Um, Not much more to say about it? It's just a very pretty tank.
0: Yeah, there's a collection of Space Marine Forge World tanks that we painted for a client in Iron Hands scheme. Absolutely badass. Um, and if you're watching live, you're going to have to go back to YouTube or head on over to flgpainstudio.com and check it out. Wizard of Boss, that wasn't even a pun. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Reese won't let it go. It's like Reese Witherspoon is my alternate personality. You
1: know, comedy is subjective. <laughs> it's much
0: more attractive. Than me.
1: <laughs> and And sometimes jokes fall flat. It's all good.
0: It's all good. All right, let's answer a couple questions in chat before we wrap it up because as you can probably see, i am sweating hard it's it's so funny how quickly you get used to it here because i was telling the crew just the other day i went out to go grab lunch and i was sitting outside and i was like oh man today is so nice compared to how hot it's been It
1: was like 105
0: 104 i was like fahrenheit i'm sitting here in the sun in 104 degrees and going like it's i could wear a a sweater this is a nice day but it's supposed to drop down into the 90s uh, next week, which thank goodness. Yes, dude. That when it got up into the 120, I was like, "This is this is not pleasant."
1: All right. So there was actually some questions in chat. You scroll up a little bit that I, I want to kind of answer. Um,
0: um,
1: yeah, th- that's all. That's all. People reacting to my amazing joke. Um,
0: <laughs> no. All yeah, right. Everyone in there is talking about the silly, silly jokes.
1: All right, so go ahead and post those questions in chat if you want us to answer any of them. Now is your time or forever hold your silence until I like that
0: uh, big nasty Nesta agreed that that was a terrible joke. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Tomodachi Express saying that we would be thankful for temperature in the 90s. It's funny because in San Diego, one week out of the year, it'll get into the 90s 100 it's and everyone's just like miserable. Oh, yeah. And here it's like, oh, 95, woo! Put on pants today. Uh, so,
1: their goods wants to know any thoughts on the tactical deployment mission pack and player place terrain. I personally think it's dead on arrival because of the player place terrain. Um, there might be some good stuff in there, but I think a lot of tos are just gonna because player placed terrain is is a is a faux pas um, in the, in the for tos anyways in the to verse.
0: Yeah, the only event that I've ever seen that actually did it was Adepticon, and it was met with mixed results. And I, the thing is, with Adepticon, it's like it's actually doable because they have six giant pieces of terrain per table so it, it's relatively easy and because they're so big there's actually not that many places you can put them right but if you have a bunch of little terrain it, it's really it's not feasible for a tournament um it just, it just doesn't it doesn't it takes too long uh it's confusing right but if you have like like a Dept-Con where there's six you know 18 by 12 inch bases that have stuff on them and you just throw out six frisbees onto the table with you know, there's barely any variety with how you can set it up. Yeah, it's fine, but I, I don't you know, player plays terrain when you have. It, it really just depends on what kind of terrain you have, like I've been saying. But i, I personally, I don't I don't think it works. it're already so pressed for time as it is, and you get a moderate benefit from it. And sometimes a more skilled player can like basically win the game before it's even started against a less skilled player who doesn't know how to set up the terrain correctly. Um, uh, I am OP is asking about when will the final call for the LVO be made in regards to uh, how it pertains with COVID. Um, it's probably going to be close to the event. Uh, and obviously, we want to give people, people as much of a heads up as possible. But there are, as I am aware at this time, three different vaccines and stage three trials that are all said to be ready for mass distribution by the end of the year. Who knows, right? So a, a lot of what we're doing is going to hinge on that. Right. If those are out, they're available. People are getting them. Going to be good to go. I would imagine. Um, if this, if that timeline is unrealistic, it's really going to depend on what the um, uh, the governor of Nevada uh, says. You know, we don't know yet, but I I would imagine based on that information, it's probably going to be pretty close to the event. But we're going to let people know as far out as possible. Hmm. Uh, do we know what happened to the Forge World reboot? Asked phased Adept. So the, the 40k rules dev team writes all the rules for Forge World since Custodes forward. For going back in time and redoing them, I don't know what the timeline is on that. I, I, I would love to see it happen because there's so many whack-a-doodle Forge. We World haven't units. had
1: a Forge World reboot since the beginning of Eighth Edition. Edition
0: yeah. so, so you know we'll have to wait and see. I hopefully soon. I, I don't know, um, unfortunately k.r quinn says placing objectives in this edition seems to take forever tips or tricks they're all predominantly preset yeah i don't know what i don't know
1: i mean just if if you if you're really having if that's an issue um i would just practice just place all the terrain get a table or or whatever and just try and practice placing them so that when you know when you go up to the table you know which mission it is and which where the objectives go. And then the other thing I like to do is I like to give my opponent three objectives, and then I place the exact opposite objectives that they do. And usually I, I place the center objective if there is a center objective. Um, but that's also, you know, you don't have to place all the objectives alone. Um, and that, that's kind of uh, one of the contracts, of social contracts of the game is you and your opponent are helping each other set up, um, hopefully.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Rod by Vulcan says, one more bad joke, Pablo has to go sleeveless. I like it. Uh, Big Nasty Nasto says, with the smaller boards, will each table still be 6x4 at LVO to give players a sideboard for books, dice, and other stuff? Uh, no, they will not. One of the main benefits of a 44x60 mat from an organizer's perspective, obviously not from a player perspective. Players would love to have a, a 12-foot long table and no other tables anywhere near them, which if you want that experience, so Kelopin basically gives it to you. Uh, 8 foot, not uh, 12 foot. Uh, the main advantage of the smaller tables for events, for game stores, for playing at home is that it takes up less space. So you can get 22% more tables in the exact same space. Now, what that means for an event like the Las Vegas Open, our main hall fits a little over 800 players. It would now fit over 1,000 in the exact same hall. So that means that event sells out every year, all those people who miss out and don't get to come and have fun, a lot more of them will get to come and have fun. If you're a game store owner, you get more, uh, you can fit more customers into the same space. Now, from a player's perspective, is it better to have more room? It is. However, there's a ton of miniatures games that are played on three by threes. Like, you literally have less, you know, uh, what is that, 30% of the space, and they operate just fine. You know, Malifaux, uh, War Machines on a four by four, X Wing's on a three by three. So, <clears throat> 40K players are an of where players are a little bit spoiled when it comes to having all that room. Um, it's actually hyper inefficient. It's one of the things that makes organizing events from a financial perspective, really, really difficult because you can't fit that many people in. The other part of it is too, is that if you can fit more people, the cost, um, the amount of revenue generated generate goes up, it makes it, the event more likely to be successful, it might even be a lower costs for some events, you know, who knows? So um, uh, long story short, for an event like the LVO or uh, BAO that sells out, no. For an event that doesn't sell out, yeah, you can totally use it, continue to use your 6x4s and just let players have extra space. It really just it depends on the kind of event you want and what your space needs are, you know. So hopefully that answers it. Try, try and take a look at it from all the different perspectives. Uh, orda a says, about obscuring trait, the wording is a bit confusing... Uh, So yeah, if you're in a piece of terrain that has the obscuring keyword, you are visible to anybody that can have true line of sight to you. That's one of the problems with basing ruins now is that the second you set foot on it, you're basically, especially with uh, GW ruins, everyone can see you. Like it's rare that you're actually out of line of sight. It creates, it depends on how your terrain's set up, but it, it can make the board feel really empty.
1: Yeah, I, I really, I kind of want to see how what people use, how people use, uh, or how how the Nova style L's um, are used in Ninth Edition. Because I personally would really like those. They're they're already really tall, uh, so they block line of sight for a majority of units and models, and uh, they don't have holes to look through. So you can kind of stand in them um, and still be okay because you use true line of sight uh, when you're inside the ruin. Uh, but on the flip side, it, it does it does kind of nerf certain armies, um, specific armies that like to shoot, uh, and they also tend to be very, very big. So, I, you know, we'll see. I, I'd like to play a game with, with the Nova-style L foams um, eventually, just to see how they play.
0: The, the Nova-style terrain, which has become really popular, it's like the LGT has almost the exact same layout. Um, it's a really interesting question because from uh, logistics and fairness perspective, having the exact same table on every single table is, makes sense. It's fair, right? You're getting really good coverage. Everybody knows how to set up the terrain. So logistically, it's a lot easier. But what the, the downside to it is that it, I feel like you lose a little bit of what makes 40k special, right? Like the first time you see a picture of a 40k game with a cool themed terrain set and cool themed armies, That is what is compelling about the game from an aesthetics perspective. And I think if you go too far away from that, you lose a lot of the magic of what makes 40K special, right? And you also are gonna make it harder to recruit new players. If I'm a 12 year old kid and I walk into a game store and it's these really, you know, forgive me for saying this kind of bland L-shaped shapes and kind of these bland like hills, they don't match the mat that it's on. And then you're, you know, you got three color armies. That's not really compelling. You know, you're not going to look at that and go and be like hyped up to go, Oh, I want to play that. I'm so excited to try that out. Whereas, conversely, if it's really cool terrain, it's themed, it matches the mat, the armies are painted well, that is going to make the kid come in and go, That's sick. I want to get involved with that. And the thing that a lot of older players forget, especially competitive players, is that the name of the game is recruitment. Every year, players stop playing. And if we want this to grow, you always have to be thinking about recruiting, ACR, or ABR instead of ABC. And you, you, try to, you have to keep your third eye on that, right? Like, if you go too far down the rabbit hole of turning it into a sport, even though we've been the people that have led the charge on this, uh, if you go too far on it, you lose some of the magic of what makes the game special. Yeah. So it's, it's, you got to find a balance, right?
1: Yeah, I 100 percent absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, although the competitor in me still wants to play on that L-shaped terrain.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, dude, I won't deny that the terrain is it's so well laid out for yeah. the competitive 40k. The other thing is, I don't, I genuinely don't like playing on the same table every time. Like, you, you got to find a, a happy medium between yep. functionality and, and, yeah, and yeah. aesthetic. And then the other end of it is like the broadside bash, which you've gone to many times. It no longer is around, sadly. They had the most artistically pleasing tables, but some of them were like worthless for competitive play. Like where there was no terrain piece taller than like two inches. Yeah. And you're like, this table looks sick, but it's a shooting gallery. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta strike a medium between those two extremes.
1: Yep. I, I agree. I think I think GW, the GW stream in general is probably one of the poster childs. In general, their terrain looks really good and is functional enough. Um minus throw them a battle board, but uh, I I that's an issue for another time. Uh, but the that that's the kind of aesthetic you want, or, or like the LVO terrains on the top table, same thing. Um, and I agree with you, Reese. I think finding that balance is critical.
0: Yeah, and, and variety is a spice of life. Now, of course, if you want to run an event with like LGT, and the LGT did a really good job of it. The terrain looks really nice. Uh, I can't remember who made it, but um, if you, if that's what you, if that scratches your itch, and that's what your uh, constituents, your players, if that's what they like, by all means, do it like go do that and have fun but i think for the big flagship events just you know you got to be thinking about recruitment it's in everyone's best interest to secure the future of the hobby and continue to look to grow it yeah right
1: and um uh, kind of like a pro tip to you aspiring tos or current tos and also local game store owners a very common thing and something that we do as well here at frontline gaming is to have a few tables that are really beautiful and functional because they can be resource intensive and uh, very hard to maintain. But having a couple tables, those are your top tables, they're they're the presenter tables, they're the ones that you would lay out at a local game store during the RTT, during an RTT, Uh, they're the ones that you would play practice games on or teaching games on. Kind of maintain those and, and make those your special terrain pieces and make those as unique as you want. And then have the rest of your terrain for your tournament only be, be very, very functional. You obviously don't want complete trash. You don't want just pink you know, foam. You, you want it to make it look presentable. Uh, but that I think that's probably the best way to go about that because having a couple really nice tables on hand is so useful in case someone like the Lord Marshall TV wants to come to your event and stream or if you want to teach someone or if your local game store needs to have a couple of terrain tables out for casual play uh, and then having, you know, bulky, bulk terrain tables for your big tournament um, that you can just store and just kind of forget about and they're always going to be functional and, and good enough looking
0: yeah so. um, like we were saying earlier terrain management acquisition is the hardest thing in, in becoming a tournament organizer um and Droll in the chat said that he agrees he showed uh, some people at his workplace a game of 40k was really nice terrain and models and they loved it yeah the aesthetics of the game is the most compelling aspect of the game initially after that i think it's the um the deep lore and then the community those are what keep you, but initially, what draws you in is the way it looks. Yep. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. I um, uh, totally lost my train of thought. Oh, and the last kind of comment on that. Um, you know, if you're an aspiring TO, you can start with with, with foam. Uh, ITC terrain is really affordable. We do bulk discounts for TOs, so if you want to buy a bunch of it to get you get the ball rolling, we try to make it affordable. Um, like Don the Magnificent said, yeah, do do the do the foam planet. That's a great way to get going, and then you can kind of as you you generate revenue from your events, put it in the bank, use it to buy it, new terrain, just keep building, that's what we did. You know, in over 10 years, we've got up to the LVO, yep. right? It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and every table doesn't have to be a masterpiece, but the more effort and energy you put into that, the more people are gonna enjoy your event, the faster you're gonna grow. So, all right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for episode 699 of Signals from the Frontline. Very happy to have had you with us all this way. Make sure to check out the other uh, podcasts on the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. And keep your eye on the store.frontlinegaming.org, the web cart. You can grab any of these cool items we were talking about.
1: Oh, and uh, Reese asked me to plug it. I'm going to save it for everyone who stuck around for the very end. Uh, Currently, I'm working with a crew um, on an RPG, tabletop RPG thing uh, using Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. It's... I'm not going to say anything else because it's all still very much in the works. However, the code name for it is Bison Burger Soup. <laughs> so that's the code name. And look more for that on FrontlineGaming.org
0: in the future. Tomodachi Express, you called it. Uh, a couple people in the chat are talking about players bringing terrain. That's a uh, That's an involved topic. We'll touch on that in episode 700 next week. Until then, have a great weekend. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you next week.